0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. George is the Chief Executive Officer at Opal. He started as a web designer, and his journey has led him to being a co-founder of a few really great companies. In the conversation, we talked about how he learned many lessons about entrepreneurship, from observing his father. We also spoke about his relationship with money and how that has evolved over time. He also practices meditation and calls mindfulness a superpower he unlocked through meditation. Hi, George, and welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast.
1: Hi, Sima, How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's
0: a pleasure to have you here. Can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do?
1: Absolutely. So, I'm George Hutt. I'm one of the CEOs, I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Opal. Opal got started back in 2012, 13, something like that. It's hard to remember. It's been a while and we have built, been building our company since then. We've had our trials and tribulations and and the ups and downs of any entrepreneurial journey. But that's what I do on a day-to-day, I'm the CEO. And so my days varied between small things and big things all the time.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And before we go into the ups and downs, can you share a bit of your backstory, how you got started into entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as a kid growing up, I was always, I came from a family of people who own their own small businesses. So it was always in my head to start my own small business and or not even necessarily a small business, just a business. And without really knowing what it meant, you romanticize what you watch others doing as a kid. And I got into technology. Late nineties, the internet was booming and it really sparked that passion, but it wasn't for another, probably six, seven, eight years before I started the company. I'd gotten out of school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I got a job building websites because I was a little bit technical and a little bit able to design. And it was from there that I said, well, I can, I know I can run this kind of a business It was basically an agency business. And then that kind of morphed into starting a software company, which is Opal.
0: So what is it that like growing up in a family of business owners, what is, what is it that contributed that worked out well? And maybe how did that same thing showed up as a barrier or as a drawback?
1: Yeah, I think (laughs) that's a great question. I, as a kid, no one was even close to technology. In fact, like I didn't really begin to see people lead, if that makes sense. My dad, a little bit, so a little bit of backstory is like his business was a fishing business. So I grew up on a fishing boat and the positives of that were that, I, that, my, that he seemed like he was his own person. And I really, I gravitated towards being my own person, which we all know is, especially at least in my line of business now, you're never quite your own person. You got to help a lot of other people out. But But like the negatives were just sort of the stress cycles of it. So I also saw him have his boat go on the beach and I watched my 40-year-old father, and I'm 10 years old or something at the time, I watched him like break down crying. Cause his boat, his livelihood was like on the beach and he couldn't get it off the beach. And so I saw the stress of it and there was definitely like the highs and lows of money coming in and out the door. And so that negative could be a positive, right? I was always worried about, well, I got to make enough money to not have like that problem. So yeah, you get this, you get a front road seat of a lot of things. And I think if you're just, if you're, if your parents aren't doing that, you just have a steadiness, right? It's a steady paycheck, budget your life to your paycheck, entrepreneurship, owning businesses is definitely a boom-bust cycle. You go up, you go down. It just depends on how it's going. You can see all of it as a kid.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that I can relate to that because I have seen my father going through multiple businesses myself and and I started my own business. But I can quickly see that how different it is to see somebody versus going through that to yourself. So can yep. you share, how was it going through those ups and downs yourself? Even though you have been a witness to your father's journey, how different was it
1: I think there's definitely like that line that you cross over, right? I think when you get started in your own business, you have, some people just look like they know what they're doing when they're starting their businesses. Mm-hmm. And if they've been on it two or three times, maybe they do. But when you're starting your first business, it's a really unique time. You only get to do that once. And you're, you're definitely making it up the whole time. When you're starting your first business, it's a really unique time. You only get to do that once. And you're definitely making it up the whole time. And I'm someone, so I have a pretty strong meditation practice in my life. So a lot of like reflection and just like really focusing on self-awareness. And I knew that about myself. I knew that I was faking it. You could call it imposter syndrome, call it whatever you want. Right. But I just felt that it was exhausting to have to keep making it up at a certain point. And so I, I, I relinquished control of the CEO title and role. Only to find myself back in the seat several years later, because it that's just what happened. What that happened to happen to that happened to be Opal's journey. But the second time around, I knew I was ready for it in a totally different way. And it, and it wasn't starting a business, but it was starting to see the CEO roll back up. And I think that just going through stuff makes that next step easier. And I think there's no substitute for experience. And I think that most people can most people are good at faking. They can fake their way all the way to Duping investors for millions and billions of dollars, as we've seen like in the news and whatnot. But, um, I think that there's a, I don't, I can't quite put my finger on what it would be, but it's that feeling that you know what you're doing, um, to a surgery, right? There's always unknowns, but you just, you feel confident in your ability to react to what comes at you versus, I think when I was younger, I felt like I needed every, I needed to know everything. And because I mm -hmm. didn't, I was faking it and that was making me exhausted. So maybe it was imposter syndrome. It was an interesting time for sure like journey, gone through that and seeing that difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think what you're referring to is knowing something in your skin versus yeah. knowing something from knowledge or from figuring out plan A, plan B, right. and plan C, and so on. And I think that's powerful, right? Because if you can lead without knowing everything or without, and especially in these times where uncertainty mm-hmm. has never been greater, I think that must be a tremendous advantage, right? So now you're leading a good enough, an organization of a good enough size. How does that play out? Because now you only have to lead, but also support and empower other leaders around you.
1: I think that's an interesting topic as well. All these are, right? I think that if I was to critique the past organizations that we didn't do that enough. And we were, and it had made a stagnant. right? Like decision-making had been so centralized. And so I, when I... Became CEO again, I recognized that we were a very stagnant organization across every facet of it. Right. And I kind of like, I, I'm a big fan of simple statements repeated over and over, great tremendous result. And so I said to the team and mind you, this was a culture of people that were like, well, waiting for answers, right? Waiting to be told because everything had been so centralized. I said, I don't know exactly what we need to go do right from a next step standpoint, but I do know that we need to make change, right? And so all of a sudden it was like blanket permission. Everybody can do whatever they want. Right. But one rule has to work. And so I kept saying, do what works, do what works, do what works. And if you find something that works, you need move on to something else to fix or do that better and make sure that it works better. Like it was mm-hmm. just that do what works, do what works over and mm-hmm. over again. And I think that people, I think as leaders, it's easy to fall into this trap that like, oh, if I was in every role or everything would be better or like you believe you're on hype, so to speak. But I think you have tremendous, there's tons of smart people in organizations. And if you can figure out how to tap into their sense of ownership and not just like equity, but like their sense of ownership from a sense of they are doing the things that they mass solve, but that there are their ideas and they're executing on their own ideas and you can get that loop going, you can move mountains with it. It's incredible. And so that's really what I've seen. It's just a company that was like just flat-footed and stagnant turn into something that is continuing, continuously iterating. We're moving so fast that it's hard for me to keep up across, not even a large organization, 70 people, but it's hard to keep up from just all the different things that everyone's doing. And I think that it creates momentum, momentum creates more momentum. And we're on that side of it now. But it's, to go on that journey over the last two years. It's been, it's been challenging to say the least, but we're getting, I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think every entrepreneur goes through that journey of being the smartest person in the yeah. team and wanting to do everything to like surrounding themselves with people better than them and also giving them more choice or more power to actually lead the organization to the next level. So having yeah. said that, right, what is the next phase for you? What challenges do you see right now? As you said, 70 people, but maybe you want to grow from 70 to 500. What does that present as a challenge right now?
1: I'm really good as a leader at doing the hardest thing. I realized that about myself. Like when I play like board games and stuff with my kids, like I'll take a extreme disadvantaged position because that's when my spirit wakes up. Like I get very excited about just overcoming impossible challenges. So I had an agency that I turned into a software company. How many people actually survived that journey versus how many people started? Very few, right? We grew to a $13 million business, which was, it's hard to do that from zero, right? Turning around an organization is insanely hard. I think that's the hardest of the three. I had no idea. Say, oh, well you have customers and you have some capital and you just got to run it around, right? That's been insanely hard. And some of the circumstances of our turnaround made it even harder. I think the thing that I'm most can like, the thing I'm observing the most, I should say, right, that I think will be the biggest challenge will be because I think I've got the, I've got the, Hey, you go figure it out, empower leadership thing unlocked and I'm pretty good at that but I think it's going to be not getting complacent believe it or not like I think that when I got I mean because like when you get to that first aha moment of a startup where you find product market fit and suddenly you start selling I I felt a deep sense of complacency there where I was especially in hindsight when I look at it it was we got to the we got over that first hill and then I remember having this moment where I came into the office and we're meeting all these customers are coming in I got people that are like bring selling software, building software, whatever, supporting our customers. And I had this moment where I was like, is this it? Cause like the challenge no longer felt insanely hard. And there was just this blip of a moment. And I think that after what we've been through, like I'm like, I don't want to have that again, because I know that's the beginning of me not being totally engaged, so I have to, I think it's more of a personal thing than an org thing, I guess, as the, in that I need to maintain that sense of challenge. And I think it's just, it just comes down to having really hard goals i think for me but but yeah i think it's more about me than it is about the org
0: yeah thank you for sharing that and i think that's quite natural for many entrepreneurs or many high achievers that they want to set the next goal and as as you said to put yourself in a box and then get out of that to see what is impossible and then making it happen over and over right yeah over and over yeah yeah absolutely Uh, yeah yeah. At the same time i also get that the moment of joy or the celebration or what you were talking about complacency how do you celebrate the moment how do you celebrate how far you have come is also very important because if you neglect that in that rush for the next big thing then even then you are missing something on the organization side yeah. but having said that what is that next like, impossible thing that you're trying to make happen
1: well i think that for us we have just been a really extraordinary opportunity we built this and to talk about our product for a second so we built what I would call like the chassis for running like marketing strategy and content, like whatever your office is, your playbook, like the sort of inside of an organization and not, not, not maybe two people, but like definitely 20, 30 people, right. And bigger, but like that sort of connection between strategy and execution, we've built all the like structure and framework for them. And right now we're in the process of layering AI into it, which is a super exciting frontier, I think for everybody in technology. But like we have this amazing product and platform and just chassis to integrate with AI that I think is relevant for any large organization in the world that is trying to orchestrate a marketing strategy and all the way down through content, which often like those things are very disconnected in, mar- in organizations. And so I've had this vision for Opal since the beginning, but it almost, I think at times we can talk ourselves out of our vision because it just seems too bold, right? Unless you like. If you have a time span of 10 years, like us, there's times where that, that, that sort of belief in the vision that that would be for us like ebbs and flows. And right now it's flowing, right? We're like, oh yeah, this is what we're going for. Whereas I think if you're on like a rocket ship timeline where you're like, oh, like in three years, we became a $10 billion company. There's no wavering in your vision in that entire journey, right? Because you're just getting continuous proof points. I think we're a little bit early. I think that, we, um, and we missed the mark with some of the products that we had released five years ago, four years ago, whatever. And now we're releasing products that like are getting tremendous traction within our customer set or helping us like knock down doors and sell more software. So I think that we actually have this opportunity to become that household name for marketing. If you think about like finance people, they have NetSuite, sales leaders have Salesforce, marketing leaders, they don't really have anything to deploy their strategy. And I think that's the opportunity for us is to really go in that space. And I've always just had the vision of connecting everything in a brand, everything they put out the door in one place. I think that vision is closer than ever. And if we unlock that from a product perspective, it's easy to use. If people like it, then we will become a household name, which yeah. sounds crazy after 10 years and only 70 person company, but I just have so much belief now because I've seen it start to unlock.
0: Yeah. I think every vision starts with a dream, right? Yeah. Not, not like a concrete plan. Right. So, so, yeah. So given what you shared, is it right now, is it more of a product challenge for you or is it a growth challenge or maybe a mix of both?
1: It's a funny question, right? Because I think all at once, if you're not, if you're not like there, then it's all at once, you got to work on all of it. As a business, you are, we always are working on it all at once. When I took over as CEO, the sort of standard, like understanding of things from a board level standpoint, say, was that we had a growth problem, not a product mm-hmm. problem. And so it was like full in growth, right. And struggling a bit there and then realizing, like, you start peeling back the onion of the to the corn, like, oh, there's actually a product problem here. And so once we figured that out, it was very much go fix the product problem. And now we've fixed the product problem. There's innovation that we want to continue to drive in the product, like we're iterating rapidly. And there's just so much cool stuff we're doing with AI, like I said. So now it's really like leading into the growth side of things and, and that's kind of where we're at. And I would say that from the turnaround standpoint, if you're, if you start like subterranean and you're like, and then you get to, I think we're at ground level right now, maybe like we have Mm -hmm. a one or two story building we gotta go build a skyscraper metaphorically for the org, right? We gotta go. After that, but I think that's our that, that's like where we're at in the journey. We're like in that middle spot because we've done so much to get out of that underground being buried and all kinds of again four years of stagnancy on a company. You kind of have to fix everything and then fix it again before you get a chance to even fight,
0: yeah, yeah, and to build any skyscraper, you need a good foundation, and for an organization, yeah. that is the leadership so can you yes. share its even with seventy people, I'm sure you have a like a key set of people. Whom you call your yeah. leadership team? But how are you creating a team which can take the organization, like, or which can build that skyscraper?
1: Yeah, yeah. First, it would be I'd be remiss not to talk about my two co-founders. So, one of my co-founders leads the product of engineering organization, and the other one is sort of operations, president of the company. Just there's a lot of that. So, his day to day is very much running laps around the org, um, just connecting dots, whatever. And so, if I didn't have those two, I think it would be a lot harder to run and sort of scale myself. And then in areas where we're not strong, we brought in some really key leaders and we've developed people as well and said, Hey, this is your shot now. And what that is really about is it's a lot of autonomy, honestly. And I think that is one thing you learn a lot in 10 years, but I think that we've seen every positive pattern and anti-pattern for management and getting the best out of people. And so I think like for right now, I feel really competent in our leadership group, press finance sales, customer success, engineering, all that stuff. I think that as you grow, I think people can scale to a certain point and then they can't. And I think that you just kind of constantly have to be observing that. And around the table, everybody knows it's, hey, like me or someone better. And I think that, and that goes for everybody, right? Everybody has to have that mindset. And I think that we really do put the company first after all that we've been through. We've had people to sort of even been willing to self-sacrifice out because they're like, I don't know if I can contribute at the level. And I think if you have that spirit within your or, the sort of moving on, doesn't have to be this, like the people side of it, right? Like that dramatic thing. You just say, okay, well, that person's gonna move on now or, or whatever. So we've had some people move on from our leadership team and I and it didn't feel like it was for them. And I think if you can, as a leader, it, and this is just another aside, me kind of thinking about the turnaround side of it, it's like when I was subterranean, it was like, I'm going to grab you and just hang on for dear life. And I need everybody, right? And I think that when you're leading from a place of needing everyone, I think that you do things that are different than if you're leading from a place of, hey, I'd like to have you here, but if you go, that's okay too, right? And I think that if you're really well, maybe you're even less, you, you care people even less, but I think that's like another interesting thing I'll see, right? If all of a sudden we raise a hundred million dollars and we're on the rocket ship do I treat people differently? Because I have, like, you have more power as a leader at that point, right? Because everybody wants to be on it. You have money. So, you know, you can go buy someone else to come in. But I think those are interesting things that, you know, as the journey unfolds, I'll continue to, to pay attention to who's on the team and who's not.
0: Absolutely. I think you you mentioned some important points, right? So, and need is one of them. And, and I think another thing which you mentioned is that hundred million, right? That Is your leadership coming from a place of fear or insecurity? or Mm. Are you driving that from within, right? Or is it the hundred million that is giving you leadership power? Or is it that groundedness that is allowing you you to attract the hundred million in the first place? And it's a dynamic balance. And I am curious to what contributes to that behind the scenes, right? You spoke about meditation earlier. Mm. Can you share what else do you do that contributes to, to you being that, like, not a needy, not a needy leader?
1: And I think uh, the meditation thing I unlocked probably 10 years ago. And that one is, I would say that I'm really cognizant of my brain. Like I'm paying attention to my thoughts constantly, right? I guess I I practice mindfulness, but it's really a superpower of knowing how much feeling, am I feeling negative? Am I feeling positive? And I think that a lot of times those two emotions come from externalities, right? Especially you can make them come from externalities. So I got a bad email. I'm worried about a customer. I had a bad conversation with employee. Those things call me these like mega thoughts. I think your brain is like a garden. The positive thoughts are easy, right? Like we want a, a big contract or i raise some money or everyone told me guy, I did a good job or whatever. Those things are like, they're great, but they, they just make you happy. They're like free happiness, but we all know we have this negativity bias. And so like the brain is like constantly getting these things that it dwells on. And I think about meditation as tending like that garden. And so as long as you're like paying attention to what's coming in and so I'm, I don't, I wouldn't say that I meditate every single day of the week at 7am and like, I'm not a really regimented person. I wish I was, I see people like that, God, how do you do that? I'm not really like that, but I pay attention to, oh, it feels like the garden. It's got a lot of just crust in there, right? It's got a bunch of junk and I need to like go in and tend the garden. And so if it feels really bad, I feel like I'm overwhelmed meditation is, it turns into something where I do it like twice a day, right? For 20 minutes, twice a day, because like, I feel really unbalanced and I feel that I'm not in a good headspace. but if I'm feeling fine, like on a weekend and I'm neutral and I'm like, I don't know, like building something. Cause I, I, that's the other thing I do. And I'll get into that in a second. I'm in a good head spot. I don't need to like meditate. Right. So I think that for me, that's one of the meditation. I'm curious, you practice any meditation or if you can relate to that before I go on to another thing.
0: Absolutely. I think I work with a lot of CEOs and leaders and meditation is a key part of, of building up a skill. And as you said, once you build a skill, meditation is not just about the 20 minutes that you do in the morning or in the evening. It's about in the moment, right? Can you be aware of a stream of thought and catch it upstream rather than yep. swimming down it uh, with it downstream and then realizing why am I <laughs> in this rabbit hole? The regular practice helps you build that skill in the moment to be aware and then to catch yourself and then and again even positive or negative you use these two words but for me these even these two words are thoughts right there yeah. otherwise there are just thoughts and I can choose thoughts but the moment I label something as positive or negative that's just another level right so for me yeah for my work I have to be even more aware of my own thinking and then the other person's thinking and mm-hmm. sometimes uh, hold them a mirror and uh, like, can we see here can we instead of going down a rabbit hole yeah uh, can we actually see what are we doing and uh, yeah. many times that is very insightful for people so i can totally relate to that and that's why i wanted to go deeper you said there's something else that that you do and i've
1: yeah so that. yeah so like one of my happy places is building stuff so whether that's like a kitchen table or like garden boxes or a fence or like whatever the thing is like i'm very i like i love to work with my hands I love the immediate impact of those things. And so business is just like constantly running. And I think if you don't get off that treadmill at times, and meditation helps right, but that's like a small gap. If you don't have something else in your life to obsess on a little bit and rest your brain on, I think that you don't get a chance to return fresh to your problems. And as we know, there's diminishing returns focusing on one problem too long. You just, keep, you kind of get a lot of things shake out a little bit and then you can see it in new light. And so. One of the ways that I do that is I always have a project like what, and it could be like the stupidest little simple thing in my yard or whatever, or in my house or whatever. And having that is like a mental exercise. So like when I go to sleep at night, I lay down. if I have a project going, I basically loop that project in my head of here's the next step and I'm out. Well, that's my trick. So I think like getting good sleep and like finding something else to think about that you can go to that it doesn't stress you out in the slightest. I think is really important for the long haul. I think you can exhaust yourself being too much in one problem.
0: I think that's another common theme that I see across people or leaders who have been who have been leaders for a long time. Any kind of creative act, it could be singing, it could be painting, but mm-hmm. as you said, doing anything with your hand, getting your body involved, uh, even exercise
1: yep. can
0: help you yep. create. Yeah, so you have that pie I can see that <laughs> yeah. Exercise can yeah. help you create or get your body involved. And that allows your brain to function better when it has to. Yeah,
1: All exactly. Right? Yeah. And, another, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and I think another element apart from just meditation is to have white space in your calendar, just to have free time mm-hmm. without any meetings or even sometimes without any thinking, because mm-hmm. that is where your intuition comes in. That's where you see what is right in front of you, but you like don't want to see it. Yeah, uh, so, totally. Yeah.
1: No, I, I totally relate to that one. My team knows that I'm not trying to have a bunch of back-to-back meetings all day every single day and be like check the box i'm doing a good job at ceo and i'm busy I, i'm basically like call me do not put a zoom mm-hmm. you know, call me and so we have a lot more fluid communication loop at the top levels of the organization where it's like if you want to talk to me call me or if i want to talk to you i will call you but i don't want to live locked into a calendar and i felt really bad about that for a long time and then i read this the, not that specific thing, but just not wanting my calendar locked up or not wanting that space. But I read this interesting thing about Jeff Bezos, this article where he talked about he likes to putt around in the morning, take it slow, not really jump into anything right away, have his coffee. Just, I'm like, that is exactly how I like to run my mornings. That's where I have to get for the 7.30 a.m. podcast. <laughs> but that's how I like to run my mornings. And so, yeah, I think that helps you though. I think it's exactly what you're talking about. It's that sort of like white space to just sort of let your brain marinate a little bit and not have that next thing you're rushing towards. I totally I agree. I do that and I agree with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you study any popular leader like Bill Gates, he has these uh, think weeks where he goes away for a week every year. Oh, cool. He has been doing that like since since his early days and he yeah. has att- attributed many of those ideas which Microsoft came up with During those times, like Warren, if you have heard or read about him, he likes to just read and think. And Mm -hmm. he says, if I make one good decision a quarter, then my job is done. So it's that very high level of thinking. And many times, not even thinking, but just allowing your brain to, to digest all the information that is have and to create patterns. Or to see something in the future, how something will pan out. Rather than just occupying yourself with that need for productivity. And many yep. times fear and insecurity that we were talking about earlier creates yeah. that rush to do something rather than just being okay with uncertainty or not knowing yep. all the details. Yeah. So thank
1: you. Yeah. It's super weird. You can actually see the future by not trying to see the future not trying to think about it at all. Your mind just wanders. So yeah, that's super cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of one of the paradoxes of leadership, right? That sometimes right. trying to make something happen, we make it more harder to actually make it happen.
1: Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Cool.
0: Wonderful, George, for sharing everything that you have shared. Like before we wrap up, what advice would you give to somebody like for because well, I know many early entrepreneurs, very early in the journey, who would be going, What are these two guys talking about? I have so much to do. How do I find yeah. time for meditation? And why do I spend time not doing anything? Can you share what advice would you give for like entrepreneurs who are early in their journey?
1: The thing that I think we haven't really covered. I think is that's either you're either willing to go through it or you're not. And most people that start the journey that it sounds glamorous on the outside, but on the inside, it's not right. It's just a lot of grinding highs and lows. Uh, It's really hard. And so I think it's, it's really, it's understanding that it's going to be hard, right. And that it's okay that it's hard. And that like, just because it, You you read articles, you see what's happening for others. You're like, why is it so easy for them? And it's so hard for us. That's just the nature of it. It's actually hard for everyone. You just don't read about the hard things for people. Unless you like read a book 10 years, 15 years later. And so I think it's just knowing that it's, it's okay. It's okay that it's hard and you're really, the thing that you're limited by is like your propensity to not give up. And I think a lot of people, they just, they tend to, I I think if these, I I think they, I think they. don't think that part exists. They don't think about it when they get started. And so that's our, that, that's really like the piece you got to exercise, I think, at, at the end of the day it's just knowing that it's hard and not giving up.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think it's that day-to-day. It's that what you do not see, but what which is very real and then making it okay is the key to have it, make it sustainable in the long run. Wonderful. So, yeah. so before we wrap up, anybody who's listening, what is the best way for them to reach out or to find out more about what you're up to?
1: The best way to reach out to us is just on our site or reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. So find me on there. My name is George Huff or find Opal on workwithopal.com. But yeah, we have lots of people that to talk to if you're looking to solve these like strategic marketing problems and are trying to connect your team in a new and different way. Uh, so that's the best way to, to reach out. But being on the podcast it's been a pleasure. I always love talking about this stuff and it's me, you're an excellent host. So thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you, George, for opening up, for sharing so openly about the challenges as well as the path. And I want to wish you all the best for, the, for building the skyscraper ahead.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank
0: you. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride, and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of to make sure you don't miss any episodes go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team if you want to know more go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.